1: And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Available now from iHeart, a new series presented by T-Mobile for Business, The Restless Ones. Join me, Jonathan Strickland, as I explore the coming technological revolution with the restless business leaders who stand right on the cutting edge. They know there is a better way to get things done, and they are ready curious, excited for the next technological innovation to unlock their vision of the future. In each episode, we'll learn more from the Restless Ones themselves and dive deep into how the 5G revolution could enable their teams to thrive. The Restless Ones is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, from a young age, I learned a lesson uh, from the rock group, uh, Tears for Fears. Okay. Everybody wants to rule the world. Yeah, I know I do. And I think the best way to achieve world domination is with a secret society having your back. Yeah. And thus, today, we're going to talk about Freemasons. And how we can take over the world? Yes. Because that's what a lot of people think, is that Freemasons are going to take over the world. And we're not going to get into theories and conspiracies. We're going to leave that to the other podcast folks. But you know they're out there. You hear Freemason, secret society, you think something's going on there. Something's happening in those lodges. But, Molly, it might be a little hard for us to take over the world via... Freemasonry. Right. Because uh, we're girls. We're women. Right. Right. Old constitution that they wrote for themselves. Dr. James Anderson, he laid it out there plain and simple. Men, no women. Yeah. Shall I I quote it? Of course. The persons admitted as members of a lodge must be good and true men, freeborn. Okay, this is (laughs) getting testier and testier. And of a mature and discreet age, no bondsman. No women, no immoral or scandalous men, but of good report. So the Masons, pretty restrictive. But what's interesting is that there are groups that allow women or are women-focused, associated with the Masons. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Order of the Eastern Stars, probably the most famous one. So we were kind of, you know, nosing around in those groups. And what's so interesting is when you start bringing up women and Freemasons together... Things get weird. Things get kind of weird. Well, before we get into women and Freemasons, maybe we should just give a very brief modern history because well, there's no need to go into like the kind of vast conspiracy theories of how uh, Freemasons were started way back in the day. But in the 1700s, uh, the Freemasons really started as a trade guild. It's as simple as that, guys. Um, it was an organization of men. Um, who favored religious tolerance over the strict dictates of the Catholic Church. They enjoyed intellectual discourse with their brothers. It was be- very fashionable. And this all came out of, uh, masonry guilds because it was, there were rough masons who worked with ordinary stone. And then there were masons who carved more intricate designs into softer stones called free stones, hence the Freemasons. And so, and they would have these. Lodges, they would go hang out. They could store their tools. They could sup together after a Share hard secrets day's work. Of the trade. Secret stonemasoning skills. And, and of course, women didn't hold masonry positions yeah. back in the olden days. Yeah, we didn't do that stuff. And so then it kind of snowballs into these more high society gentlemen's clubs mm-hmm. in the 18th century. Now, to really understand, um, the, the role of women, it's going to take a sort of country by country view because we're going to go into France in a minute. But first, let's go to probably the most famous female Freemason that exists. Yes. Elizabeth Aldworth, born Elizabeth Elizabeth Saint-Legis. And she provides instruction to all of us on how to get into a secret society if they won't let you in. And that is hide. Just hide. Hide for a while, find out where they meet, find a really good hiding place... Okay, you're just going to hang out there, be very quiet. Soak it all up like a sponge. Soak it all up, everything that's going on. Try to get some initiation information. Try to get some secret passwords and handshakes. Accumulate as much information as possible. Then, one day. When you're found. Uh, when you're found. I you inevitably will be found. Will be found yes. When you are found, let them know how much information you know and how many secrets you could spill, so therefore they will have to you essentially kind of blackmail them into initiating you so that you will therefore have to take their oath of secrecy so that you won't spill the beans. It's the best it's the best pathway into organization membership. That I've ever heard of. And, you know, apparently women sort of all over were doing this, hiding in clocks, hiding, you know, behind walls to get the secrets. Because when something's secret, everyone wants to know. Everybody wants to know, yeah. But Elizabeth Aldworth really paved the way in Ireland. And, yeah, once they found her, they had no choice but to induct her. And uh she ended up, you know, being a pretty prominent member in her lodge. And even when she was buried, she had the incident engraved on her tombstone so that everybody kno- knew that, yes, she was a Lady Mason. But she did not pave some pathway. No. The Masons were not thrilled about having to induct her. No. And All the M- same. And as we'll find out later, a lot of uh, a lot of traditional Masons today still do not think very highly of Miss Aldworth. But let's go to France, as I promised we would, because... I think it's really interesting, the relationship of Masons and women in France. Yeah, because around 1700s, we have a little something that happens called the Enlightenment. And from the Enlightenment, we also have the very earliest roots of women's rights. And in France, for a little bit of Enlightenment refresher, uh, the upper classes would organize these things called salons. And a lot of time it was an upper class woman who would facilitate discussions in their homes of politics and religion and, you know, uh, rights and all, all these types of things. And they would have these intellectual discourses, exchanging of ideas. And, um, Masons at the time in France were sort of other, they, they were kind of similar to salons at mm-hmm. the time. Wouldn't you say, Molly? Yeah. It was, you know, people getting together of a certain class, talking, sharing these ideas of the day. And essentially, because the Enlightenment ideals were sweeping through Europe at the same time that the Masons were, it only made sense that I think women started to attend. And it was kind of, I think, probably seen as a sign of being, you know, a little enlightened to let a woman come in. Now, these weren't strictly Masonic lodges. They were kind of, as a scholar K.C.R. R. Huffmeyer calls them, quasi-Masonic. They had some of the rituals. They had sort of the same organizational setup. And they were eventually, you know, kind of loosely recognized by the official Masons. Mm -hmm. Um, But she even points out in a paper entitled Women in Freemasonry in France and Germany that European Freemasonry was a symbol of the Enlightenment in the public sphere. That was just how important these uh, these lodge gatherings were. And of course, just like women in the salons, upper class women in particular wanted to be part of these discussions as well. And in these lodges, the women were able to take on leadership roles. Mm-hmm. They sometimes led the ritual, even though sometimes the real masons, not the quasi ones, would kind of say, well, we're adapting this because you're going to do it. It's not the real thing, but yeah. it's pretty close. But I think that what was interesting is they actually ended up being pretty good Uh, ritual keepers. At one point, there was an act that the men wanted to change the ritual a little bit, and the women were like, no, that's not how we do things. Yeah, they wanted, they didn't want any exceptions made for them. They wanted to be fully initiated. And that happens, I think, even today with, uh, co-Masonic groups where the, uh, some of the initiation rites will be deliberately different from traditional Masonic initiations. Now, one of these groups in France at this time was the Order of the Amazons. And you could get the high degree of Amazonry anglais, um, where you were initiated by a queen and you were called on to recognize the injustice of men, to throw off the masculine yoke, to dominate a marriage and to claim equal wealth with men, among other things. And these were the kind of ideals that were dominating female Freemasonry. Now, maybe this is why it didn't catch on worldwide, because... Maybe the men didn't want to have a group or women were throwing off the masculine yoke. Now, statements like that, according to this Huffmeyer paper, really made French masons almost too political for their own good because she offers the example of what was going on with German Masons at the same time, and Germans were fiercely, German Masons at least, were fiercely apolitical, and they weren't quite as open to allowing women in because they just kind of wanted to avoid uh, a statement, yeah, that exact statement of, of equality, right, and you know, I think that I, I was asking Kristen about this earlier, and I can't remember where I read this, but I definitely did. I think there are some m- Masonic lodges where the rule is you don't talk about politics or religion. Yeah. Which made the f- made the fact that these French Freemasons were talking about such feminist ideals very. I mean, that's what makes it so noteworthy. That's why we're covering it. But I thought that um, a scholar named Paul Rich, who wrote a pa- paper called "Female Freemasons, Gender, Democracy, and Fraternalism," made this really interesting point about the purpose that having women in Freemasonry could possibly serve today. He talks about how membership in social organizations is really important to democracy. And if you've read the book Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam, mm-hmm. that's what he goes over time and time again, is that if our membership in organizations drops, then, you know, we just, we divorce ourselves from society, and that's ultimately probably bad for society. And so he talks about how, you know, there is this group, the Freemasons, who could by you know, opening up their arms essentially Mm -hmm. for membership could really serve a a really great be a force in society. And yet they are so hesitant to let the women in. Well, because one example that he he offers to support that argument is how uh, French female Masons uh, after the French Revolution uh, really took it upon themselves to reach out to, I guess, the poor masses, if you will, because, you know, at this time we have to remember, too, that, I mean, this isn't a perfect society. This is really restricted to upper white wealthy people. But nevertheless, these women really engaged in a lot of philanthropy and charitable acts for the first time because they wanted to, I guess, ex- embody these enlightened discussions that they were having in their lodges out into public by helping out um, other people. But we've been talking a lot about France, Molly. Yeah. What's going on in the U.S. of A.? Oh, there is no chance of us becoming Freemasons anytime soon. Yeah. You did mention co-masonry. Yes. Which is um, just not recognized by the official leadership of the Freemasonry, but that is a lodge where men and women can gather. But, uh, you know, you pointed me to one website that talked about the history of women in Freemasonry, and essentially they'll acknowledge, you know, the people who hid in the cabinets and they'll acknowledge that, you know, some people in France let them in. But there's always sort of a footnote at the end of every paragraph like, but this is not the way everyone wants to do it. And yeah. this is the way most people would prefer things to stay." when they're talking about just male leadership. You know, they're essentially pointing to their constitution and saying... Freemasons aren't women. It's in the Constitution. Yeah, there's always some kind of qualifier term like it's adoptive masonry or co-masonry. But uh, I do want to share um, a pretty colorful anecdote of our own. I guess you could call her America's Elizabeth Aldworth. Um, this was back in the day, you know, when, before the days of uh, co-masonry. And there was a woman named Catherine Babington in Kentucky who lived near a Masonic lodge and she would conceal herself in the hollow pulpit during every lodge meeting and she did this for more than a year okay so of course she like we said at the beginning she followed our advice and really accumulated all of this knowledge and then when she was finally discovered they questioned her and they found out that she knew everything but then they kept her in custody for more than a month while the lodge decided what to do with her (laughs) Or Babington. That would not fly today. Well, it's just, you know, if you are going to hide out and listen to a serious society, it's something to be aware of. Possible consequences. They'll induct yeah. you or they would keep you secret for a long time. Well, yeah. I mean, even after this month of being being held, they didn't even initiate Babington. They still just kicked her out. And, you know, sometimes when you have a secret, you know, dead men tell no tales. She's lucky she escaped with her life. Oh, my goodness, Molly. This podcast is took an <laughs> ominous a turn. turn for the duck side. But I think there's one guy that we do have to talk about uh, who's also from Kentucky, and his name is Rob Morris, and he's sort of the father of adopted masonry adoptive masonry in the United States. And we do see this happening a lot um, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, of these male civic leaders, often wealthy men. Who did embrace this uh, early idea of gender equality and women's rights that was really starting to take off at the time. And he started the, uh, the Order of the Eastern Star based on this idea of adoptive masonry and allowing men and women to congregate together. So there are, you know, as we said, many women's groups, Order of Eastern Star being most prominent, that women who are associated with Freemasons can join. Mm-hmm. Essentially, if you're the daughter, um, wife, Life. sister, there are options for you. But if you wanted to be full on fraternal member of the organization, you probably will be choosing something like co-masonry, something not formally recognized. Yeah. Let's say, be a quasi-mason, um, a quasi-mason, all sort of descended from, um, and I didn't take French, so just go ahead and forgive this. The droit human. Okay. Droit, droit human. <laughs> that was the French. French group. Mm-hmm. So again, again, all of our feminist strides or infiltration, if you will, within this secret society descends from the French. Right. Because Co-Masonry is sort of descended from that French splinter group. But even today, when we were kind of researching around, looking at, looking, just Googling, if you will, women and masons, we kept coming on these, these pages of traditional Masonic groups or lodges who acknowledge the fact that, yes, it seems kind of sexist that we don't allow women, but, you know, it is in our Constitution, and that's the way it's always been. And, you know, we had these female interlopers, and they kind of got in, but they're not really masons. You know, they really defend the fact that it is a fraternity, and I guess that they could turn around and, you know, make the same accusation of, you know, well, why if if women can f- join full-fledged lodges, then maybe men should be allowed in sororities. You know what I mean? Then you get into this whole kind of argument of men's and women's groups and should any of them be gender specific? Yeah, I mean, I think the only reason that people have a fascination with this particular one is because there are so many you know, secrets and conspiracies. And and it's so widespread. I mean, it's an international organization. Right. Like by what, the 1930s in the U.S., there were more than 2 million members just in the 30s. So I can't think of any other organization that's similar for women to join. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the only thing I could think of in terms of philanthropy would be the Junior League, but I don't think they have any secrets to share. Yeah. And I really want some secrets. Um, So I don't think we're making the argument that women should become or should be allowed membership in the Freemason groups, if they don't want us, that's fine. I'm kind of I'm not going to fight for yeah. this of yeah. all things. Um, but I just thought it was interesting to highlight sort of the the strides someone would have made. And you know, there have been places like in France and also in England where Freemasons were very associated with the suffragette movement, where they really used um, their social power as a as a good force of change and have been really. Good friends to women's rights. Well, I think it's also kind of on the flip side of that. I think it's also an interesting example because I wasn't aware of these connections between, you know, Freemasons and the Enlightenment and all of that stuff going on in France. I do think it is an interesting example of something that really did start off with the intention of paving the way for, um, you know, an open, open discourse for both men and women, promoting gender equality and all of that. But, Never really got past the starting block, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that that's one of it's kind of a surprisingly rare example of that because you know for something that is um, so widespread as the Masons, it is still so locked into being an all male fraternity. It's pretty interesting. I think it is kind of yeah. It's a part of part of that history I didn't know about. Exactly. Well, I think whenever you talk about secret societies, you're probably going to offend someone. So. Let us know what we got wrong, what we got right, what you're interested in. And if you are a woman and you are in some kind of Masonic organization, we really want to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to tell us the secrets, but if you want to, that'd be cool, too. We like secrets. Just pretend we've been hiding in your house for the past year and you have to induct us. But until Molly and I can be initiated into some kind of society that will share its secrets with us... (laughs) Why don't you? Let's read our listener secrets. Yes, let's read our listener secrets with some listener mail from our email address momstuffandhousestuffworks dot com. So I'm going to start with something that was mentioned by a few of our listeners. Uh, Martha and Change are the two names I wrote down who wrote in about it. They wrote in about the Bechtel test. Had you heard about this, Kristen? No, I hadn't. I hadn't heard about it either. And basically, it's a test you can apply to any movie. To pass this test, a film must, one, have at least two women in it. Two, the women must talk to each other. Three, they must talk to each other about something besides a man. And it is amazing, uh, Martha writes, how many films do not pass this test? Try it on some of your favorites. Avatar? No. Angels and Demons? No. Bruno? No. Ice Age three? No. Sex in the City the movie? Definitely not. No, nothing that wasn't male related. But it's it's interesting, and you can go if you Google Bechdel test, it'll take you this website where they'll all the movies that have come out recently. They discuss whether it does or doesn't. Hmm. It kind of breaks your heart a little bit to see how rarely women get to talk about something besides a man. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of something besides a man, I've got an email here from Julie about our podcast on SPF and I have to share her subject line which was you can't sit with sunburned buns oh another verse to our song yes she said, I have to say I don't use sunscreen very often and have come to regret it a couple of times. My friend and I went on vacation to the beach last summer on a very cold and cloudy day. It was so windy that we had to wear hoodies on top of our swimsuits. You can see where this is going. We dozed off face down and woke up with lobster butts. I was in pain and slightly ashamed. How many times did my mom tell me to put on sunscreen even when there's no sun out? A gazillion times. Well, at least three times. Uh, she said we spent the next day looking for loose clothes and buckets of aloe vera cream to soothe on our roasted skin. There was no mirror in the hostel we were staying in, so we took pictures of our legs to see how bad it was. Let me just say that my mom was not pleased when she saw the pink to red gradient on her daughter's legs. Oof! I will try to put on more sunscreen this summer. Do that, Julie. I can identify. Oh with yeah. that. I I I always forget my upper thighs. And it's usually right before I have to get in the car after leaving the beach, and it is not fun to drive home from the beach with sunburned thighs. Mm. Well, guys, if you've got anything to share with us—secrets, not secrets—anything really—just send us an email at howstuffworks.com If you want to learn some of our secrets, you should go. Over, mm. <laughs> you should go over to our blog, How To Stuff, and you can find that blog in addition to the article How Freemasons Work. Go to HowStuffWorks.com. For more on
1: this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more How Stuff works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? So here's something that some of you might find shocking.